so blessed today to share a word of encouragement and challenge for you guys. Um, today's message will be a little bit untraditional. I'm not preaching uh, expositionally nor topically, which is typically how I share. Um, the message I'm sharing this morning came from an extended time of prayer and wrestling with the Lord. Um, about a week ago, I felt the Lord said, share this with your life group two Fridays ago, and I feel the Lord wants me to share with you. So if you're in my life group, you kind of heard a version of this already. Uh, the title of the message is From Fear to Obedience. Now, eventually I'm going to get to fear and obedience. Um, but you know when God speaks, it's conversational. It's not always like wrapped up in a nice little message. Uh, instead, it's more like a pick-your-own-adventure book. I don't know if you guys remember those books you read as a kid. Like you flip to a certain question, they're like, if you choose to go on this route, you go to this page or you go to a different page. Um, that's kind of what this morning is going to be more like. A pick your own venture journey. Uh, bear with me. Eventually, we're going to get from fear to obedience. I can remember, when does the service end? 11.15. Okay. I, I'm still trying to keep track of the times for the services. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Tell that the next service. Anyways. <clears throat> So last week, um, like many of you, I was overwhelmed. Um, overwhelmed with everything going around me. I felt overwhelmed over the state of our nation, the ministry, our family, the struggles of myself, the struggle of those all around me. In the middle of all this, there was a deep burden in my heart to do something great for God. Does that resonate with you guys? You know, the Lord this morning reminded me. This is interesting. I was, I was praying this morning. The Lord reminded me. I wasn't... Back in 2003 through 2001 to three, I was doing missions overseas. And when I was done with my mission field, when I was coming back to the United States, I applied for one job. You guys will never guess where I applied. I applied to work for the CIA. No joke. Log on to CIA website and send the application in. Now, looking back, I would have been the worst spy ever. Like, they would be like, are you a spy? I'll be like, uh, Yes, you got me. Like, I'm the worst at telling any lies, okay? But, so, wouldn't work, you know? However, the truth is I want to be part of something big. In my heart, I want to make difference. I want to be in on the truth. I want to expose the lies and get in on the truth. I want to be part of something, a movement. And that is that desire in my heart. Well, anyway, this past week, that desire stirred again. Like, God, use me, use me, use me for your purpose, use me for your greatness. So I went in my room, I told my wife, can I disappear for three to five hours? Um, go to my room, she gave me permission, I got on my knees, and I went for it. Um, for the next few hours, I wrestled with God with some deep, deep challenges. God took me on a journey that ended up with me facing my deepest fear. And I want to take you guys on this journey. I took first service on the journey. They survived. I want to take you guys on this journey with me. You guys ready? So just to sow the seed. I like that spirit. Just to sow the seed. I want to ask you before we start, what is your worst fear? What is your worst fear? Now, by definition, when we talk about your worst fear, I'm talking about something that nobody's comfortable with. We're not preaching out of our strength. We're going straight to our weakness. A lot of times we like to preach out of our strength. If we only do this thing that I'm really strong in, but no one is strong in facing their fears because by definition, that's your weakness. But that's where we're going today. So the Lord took me on this journey. He started by asking me a very simple question. 
Do you want to be used for my purpose? Do you want to be used for the kingdom of God? Now, I was so confused when I heard this question from God because I'm like, of course I do. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm in prayer. That's why I'm a pastor. I want to be used for your purpose. And God gently just rebuffed my answer and said, do you want to be used by me? Yes, Lord, I want to be used by you. Do you want to be used by me? After a couple times of him ignoring my answer and kept asking the same thing, I'm like, wait, is he trying to tell me something? Is there something in this that I'm not aware of? Is there something deeper, harder, tougher than I expected? And for a second, I took the question seriously and asked myself, am I really ready to be used by God for his great purpose? And for a second, I felt fear. I felt the the forces of of hell being unleashed against me and my family. I felt the weight and the cost of being consecrated for his purpose, the sacrifice I got to make for God. All those things came upon me for a split second, and afterwards I'm like, whoa, am I really willing and ready to be used for God's purpose? We often put the cart before the horse, and God's saying, if you really want to be used for my purpose, you got to do it my way. You got to do my way. Your zeal, your passion is not going to be enough. You got to do it my way. So I want to pose the same question to you guys today. Is there deep burning in your heart to be significant for God's purpose, to bring out his glory, to usher in his kingdom onto our earth, our community? Are you so tired of the, the, the toxicity and the corruption in our culture? You're like, I want to make a difference. If that answer is yes, then we can move on to point number two. The Lord then continues, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He's saying to me that this verse, this revelation cannot be a nice thing we talk about. It has to be part of our everyday life. It has to become a central dogma of our lives. We need to deeply understand that our efforts, our own ability, our talent, our good intentions, our zeal, apart from the Holy Spirit, will not make a dent against the kingdom of darkness. Our strategy, our ability, our striving will do nothing against the kingdom of darkness. Number three, the Lord then continues. So to truly make a difference, you need to walk in the supernatural. Now, when we think about the supernatural, first thing that comes to my mind is like walking on water, raising the healing like the sick, healing the blind, all of those are part of the supernatural, but we often ignore the most basic fundamental step of the supernatural, listen and obey. Listen to the voice of God and obey. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit's ideas and not our own ideas. Sometimes God says you take the enemy by going straight up there and, and, face, and face them straight on. Other times God says you got to circle around that city seven times, like in Jericho, and worship and scream. You know, when Jesus healed the blind, sometimes he just touched their eyes. Other times he spits in the mud and makes this concoction and touched their eyes. Every single situation, scenario requires a different strategy. How would you know if you don't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? My best example from the scripture for me that illustrates the importance of listening and obeying comes from 1 Samuel. David and his mighty men, this time they were on the run from Saul. They're out as they're basically out in the wilderness doing their own thing. 
And basically, when they were out, the enemy came and took over the camp. They, they stole all their stuff, and they kidnapped all their wives and their kids. So verse 3, I'm going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. When David's men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Just think about it real quick. Now, my wife is not feeling great. She's a little run down. She's at home right now with my kids. Imagine if I went home after preaching, working hard, go home, and my home was ravaged and my kids are gone and my wife is gone, kidnapped. Just imagine that for yourself, how you would feel in that moment for the men and for the, for the ladies. How would you feel? You go home and your, your whole house is gone, taken by the enemy. So David and his men wept aloud until there's no strength left to weep. That seems like appropriate response, right? Yeah. Right, guys? That would be appropriate response. David was greatly, verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David went to Abathar, Bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, the Lord answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Verse 17. David fought them from dusk to the evening. Uh, David recovered everything Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young and old, boy or girl, plunder, anything else had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds. His men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. See, in the middle of tremendous crisis, stress, pain, disappointment, we revert to our true self. True self. A true self. And David's true self is a man who lives in the supernatural. He sought God's face in the middle of crisis. You know, Jesus, before he picked his 12 disciples, you know what he did the night before? He stayed up all night crying out, praying to God. God, give me wisdom. Jesus routinely went out to the wilderness and looked for direction, seeking God's face early in the morning. And he come back to his disciples. And he said, hey, we need to go to a different city because it's time to go, go this direction or this direction or this town needs to hear the gospel. If Jesus himself needed to seek direction and strategy from heaven, why are we not doing that? Why are we basing our decisions and our strategies on our own understanding or what we hear from the world? Matthew chapter 7. Not only, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy your name and drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Now that verse should let every believer, like that, that hair behind your neck, stick straight up. Because it's the birthright for us to walk in the supernatural. But when we ignore obedience and we start walking our own strategy and our plans, we could be casting out demon and doing great ministries and doing great works on our own strength. And on Judgment Day, Jesus is saying, you're not obedient. You weren't doing what I told you to do. You were building your own kingdom. Your own kingdom looks real nice, but that's not my kingdom. This is my kingdom. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel is talking to King Saul. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your obedience to his voice. 
Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So often we sacrifice, we work, we make ourselves into the martyr, work ourselves to death for God's glory, but really we're doing it for our own kingdom, our own glory. And God says, what you need to do is go home and love your family because that's where obedience lies. See, in the Western world, we're so focused on knowledge. We send people to school so they can have all kinds of alphabets behind their names. And I'm not knocking that because I got a couple alphabets behind my name. I've been in school and grad school and all that stuff. But embedded in this is the idea your status is based on how much you know, your knowledge, your expertise, your pedigree. This general idea of elevating knowledge has leaked and infiltrated the church. So much of our training in the church is based on what you know. Like Sunday school, you know, I'm not knocking Sunday school. I grew up in Sunday school. I went to Sunday school uh, hours and hours and hours at a time. And I learned so many biblical stuff from there. I love it. It's all good stuff for me. However, I'm wondering if we have the same emphasis on obedience as much as knowledge. But see, in the Western world, we place this huge emphasis on knowledge by how we really live. Huge emphasis on knowledge and so emphasis, little emphasis on obedience. And the subtle message we sent to our kids is it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you know. So what happens in the state of the church is this, is we have this huge level of knowledge among the Christians in America. Revelations, training, workshop, we know so much. But our obedience level it's this much. Now, I want to contrast this with people overseas, Christians who might be in, in countries that there's persecution, there's low literacy rate, and they don't have the blessings that we have. And for them, they, they, they barely can read or they, have, they don't have access to the Bible. But these Christians, their knowledge base is very little because they don't have that much access to the things we have. However, due to their hunger for God and due to persecution, their obedience base is like this. You see the difference? Now, what happens in American culture is as we continue to grow and learn and come to church and pray and go to workshops and Sunday schools, our knowledge base keeps going up. We get more and more knowledge. However, because our model for obedience is so low, when our knowledge base goes up, our obedience doesn't change. Whereas overseas, because they, their, their obedience is so emphasized, when their knowledge base goes obedience base goes up too. You see how that works? So what happens is we instill in our kids, obedience is not as important as knowledge. I want to ask you guys this question. Ask every parent, every spiritual leader, any type of leader, pastor, Sunday school teacher, what is more important? What should be more important to you? What do you prefer from your kids? A huge knowledge base of what to do and what's the right thing to do or a huge base of obedience? I want to ask you this. What's much harder to produce in people? Huge knowledge base or huge obedience base? See, when we're making that turn of parenting, it's obvious. It makes so much sense, right? However, in the church, we have often forget what's really important. This issue is important to God. Jesus spoke clearly. It's not 
those who know the will of God is those who do the will of God. How many of us know the will of God? I know God wants me to pray. I I know God wants me to spend time with him. I know God wants me to be obedient. I know God wants me to pursue this person and pursue this person. Why aren't you doing it? Well, I'll get to it. The Lord is saying to us, if you really want to make a difference for God, if you really want to walk in the supernatural, stop trying to walk on water or raise the dead. Don't do that first. Focus first on listening to the voice of God and get your obedience base built up. This message of obedience is in itself. I can preach on that all day. So I'm wrestling in prayer and God drops obedience into my heart. I'm just like, oh my gosh. He's like, you need to walk in the supernatural. So I'm like already done. I'm sweating. I'm praying. I'm like, God, can I be released? I'm done. And God's like, I haven't been gotten started yet. I'm about to drop the bomb on you. So that's point number three. If you want to be used by God, you got to forget your own strength, your own ability. Throw that out the window. You got to walk in the supernatural. To walk in the supernatural, you got to walk in listening and obey. Okay, makes sense so far? And the Lord drops a bomb on me. Number four, he says, the reason most of us in the church today, in Northwest Indiana, Livingstone's Church, in our region, the reason we don't obey is because of fears. The Lord showed me that, myself included, American Christians, even though we live in the best nation in the world, and so many of us, again, compared to other nations, live healthy, safe environments, neighborhood. We have access to luxury, money, actually to emergency services at our fingertips. Again, compared to the rest of the world, we are more blessed than ever. We are plagued by fear. The Lord says to me, our biggest hindrance to walk in the supernatural is that we have a traitor in the camp. There's a traitor in our heart. It's called fear. And this fear comes and sabotage every whisper of the Holy Spirit. Every time the Holy Spirit comes and says, you got to do this. This is time to do it. The enemy comes and snatches it away. You can't listen to the voice of God. When the voice of fear is all here. And the Lord to me says, some of you have heard the voice of fear for so long in your life. You don't even know the voice of fear anymore. It's, it's become your BFF. You have a codependent relationship with fear. When it speaks, you think it's you. You think it's helping you. Where it's sabotaging every step that God wants to take. You cannot walk in the supernatural when you listen to the voice of fear. Fear, what it does, I don't know about you, but for me, when it comes upon me, even though I'm living in prosperity, blessings of God, everything will be fine. What happens is I wake up in the morning, I feel like I'm on a survival raft with my family in the middle of the ocean. You guys ever feel this way? Like I feel like my own little rain cloud, wherever I go, just follow me. Everywhere else looks great. Where am I at? It's on me. I'm like, wait a second, that doesn't conform to reality, but that's how I feel. That's a sedition. There's a traitor in the camp. And when the Lord started taking me through this journey, he exposed my deepest fear. And I shared this before, and many of you guys know this already. My deepest fear has to do with my kids, that I cannot protect my kids. I'm sure some fathers can resonate with this. Now, a lot of this reason why this fear is so debilitating, so irrational, so strong in my heart is because of my childhood. When I was young, there was some trauma and hurts. And what the, what the devil does, he inserts 
that seed of fear in when you were young. He just kind of puts it in there. Now, you don't even notice it for years because it's hidden. And it's germinating, it's conniving, it's manipulating, it just like creeps its way. And one day when the Lord's trying to move in your life, that fear just kind of comes out, pokes his head out and takes over. It lands a coup on the kingdom of God. And that's how this works. So my biggest fear is that I cannot take care of my kids and I cannot protect them. And the Lord showed me the prophetic power of fear. God literally says, I want you to expose the corruption and the power of fear. See, fear in itself is fake news. Fear itself has no power. What gives it power is when fear takes hold of us and we become the vessel for fear. It's like a virus, okay? I'm going to show you how this works, okay? So for me, my biggest fear is that I cannot protect my kids. So what happens, this is very practical, what happens when I read certain things in the news or when I have certain financial things fall apart or my car breaks down or my uh, air conditioning breaks down or my heater breaks down, it triggers me. Does that make sense? I'm like, oh, I'm fearful. I can't take care of my kids, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter how much money I have, whatever, it gets triggered, right? So when it triggers, what happens to me is I, I, I start to lose focus, I become edgy. I become sharp. I become anxious. I don't love my kids well. I'm not fully present with my wife. I become uh, mean. I become unkind to my kids. I start to yell at them and all these different things. I become a terrible dad. And I look back on all the things I was afraid of that was going to hurt my kids. None of them touched my kids because God always provided. He always protected them. So what I was afraid of didn't hurt my kids. You know what hurt my kids? is me being afraid. You see how that works? I want to expose the corruption of fear in your life. Its reality is fake until you believe in it and you become a vessel to fulfill its own reality. You know, I shared this with my um, life group and a couple other guys share their deepest fear. And I thought, man, this applied to a lot of people. So I want to expose this. The, the, the prophetic power of fear, okay? We got to expose it. One of the greatest fear that people have, and I resonate with this, is the fear that you are not enough. That if someone come close and closely examine, if someone really knew me, they would knew how jacked up, how screwed up, how ugly, how nasty I am. Now, for me, I faced that several years ago, and I, my version of it is, God, I'm so afraid that if people really knew me, they knew that how much of a loser I am. Okay, that's the word for me. Well, how this works is, even though I would look at someone who would struggle with this fear and I look at this young man and I'll be like, you are awesome. God's favor is all over you. You are blessed and everyone loves you and we, are, we got your back. But if you feel that's your reality, even though that's true reality, right? That's God's reality. But if you buy into the fake news that you are a loser or you're not enough, you start to push people away. You start to say, I don't want intimacy. I don't want people to really get to know me. And the worst part is you don't go to God and you don't, you don't share your heart with God because you knew that if you came to God, God will reject you. So you, you don't have the affection you need. You don't have the affirmation you need from the right sources. So you turn to other things in your life. Or you turn to alcohol, drugs, or pornography. And then end up making you compromise. And next thing you know, you do become not enough. You see how that works? I want to talk about another fear that is very common among us. The fear that you will be alone. Check this out. Anybody have faced those fears before? You will always be alone. That you will never be known common skiing of the enemy. So many people are so afraid of being alone 
that out of fear, out of this trigger of fear, they would manipulate and force or guilt other people to be in their life. Come on, I'm so afraid to be alone, so be in my life. Well, all that does is push people away because no one wants to be manipulated or guilted into intimacy with you, right? So all that does is it push people away and he fulfills his own prophecy so he end up being alone. Whereas if you truly don't believe in the lie, you truly believe that God's with you, you don't have to face that. You, you don't, you're not manifested by, trigger, by this trigger. This is the power of fear. It fulfills itself. Fear preys on you over and over and over again, and we let it. We get so obsessed with this fear, the voice of this. When we're walking in fear, we are walking in the definition of depending on your own strength. And when we're walking in fear, there's no hope for us to make a dent in the toxic culture we have today. So I want to ask you, what are your deepest fears? What are your deepest fears? Holy Spirit, even right now, just bring it to light, our deepest fear. Has this fear sabotaged your life? Has this fear kept you from listening to God's voice? Are you tired of this dysfunctional, codependent relationship? I want to go back to the original question God asked us. Do you truly want to be used by God for his great purpose? If you do, you will have to face your fear. You will have to face your fear. You know, just the other day, three, four days ago, I sat down. I was working on the sermon, sitting on the dinner table. I was just chatting with my wife. I'm like, hey, how about this idea? And I started sharing this and just, hey, Debbie, what is your worst fear? 30 minutes later, she's in tears. She's getting a breakthrough. Just now, after first service, I was chatting with um, someone very dear to me, and she's like, I have a fear of letting other people drive the car instead of me. I'm like, she's like, it's so rational, I don't really get it. I'm like, but why are you afraid of that? Why, what's the source of that? Well, I, I think I just, I want to drive. I, I don't want to get in a car accident. Okay, but what's the fear of that? What's the source of that? Control. What's the source of control? Why, are you so, why do you have to be in control? Because I don't really trust God. I don't really trust God. Because maybe there's trauma in your past, trauma from your childhood. The enemy came and put that seed of fear in your heart that God won't provide for you. God can't protect you. So you have to be in control of everything. And when you're in control of everything, that's by definition of trusting your own strength. You're walking in flesh and blood. You see what I'm saying? And when you're in control, there's no way you can make a dent in the kingdom of darkness, which is the spirit of control. So the spirit of fear is preventing the church from doing anything. It's birthright. But if you just ask yourself a couple different simple questions, why am I afraid? But why that? Why that? Why that? You'll get to the, the source and the root of that so quickly. But then what do you do? God knows that we will struggle with fear, that we are struggling with fear, and we have struggled with fear. That's why he talks about fear all the time. If you look closely at the passages when Jesus, when, when God talks about fear, you'll recognize that in the, in, within these passages is the key to overcoming fear. He makes it plain as day. If you have the eyes to see, he gave you the key. This is the path to victory. Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. Jeremiah 42, 11, 
Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you. Psalm 23, 4. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Joshua 1, 5-9. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Embedded in these passages is how we are going to win. God's saying, you don't need to be afraid because of my presence, my closeness, my proximity. I want to use an encounter with Jesus to illustrate my point. This is my, one of my favorite, favorite stories in the scripture in Luke chapter 8. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. Then a man named Jairus invited Jesus to go to his house and heal his uh, daughter who was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him. So many people went with him. And a woman was there who had been subject for bleeding for 12 years, and no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. When they all denied it, Peter says, Masters, the people are crowding and pressing against you now. In other words, Master, a lot of people are touching you. But Jesus says, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Of all the people, if you ask me, who do you relate most in the scripture? I like to say it will be David because he's a heart after God's own heart. I like to say it's Daniel because of his integrity. I like to say I relate to Joshua because of the boldness and the military strategist he is. But that's not the truth. The truth is the person I relate to the most in the Bible is this poor lady who's been bleeding for 12 years. She has the medical issue of bleeding. The law says if you have menstrual bleeding, then you are unclean. Anyone who touches you become unclean. And everything you touch, sit on, lie on becomes unclean. So here's a lady who's been isolated for 12 years of her life. No human connection, touching, intimacy, labeled as unclean. She has to meticulously watch everything she touches or sit on. Be careful not to contaminate other people. She's been living in a nightmare for 12 years. Her identity has been destroyed. If you were her, what would be your worst fear? That you would never be healed? You never had connection with someone else? How about this? You accidentally contaminate everyone and they would turn on you. This is her world, her reality. And one day she saw Jesus walking by. She saw Jesus, the glory, the power. She says, if I could just touch his cloak, I would be healed. But the only problem was there's a huge crowd around Jesus. In order to reach Jesus, she has to wade through all those people, contaminating every person along the way. She would have to face her fear. What happened when she touched Jesus? Is she going to make Jesus unclean? What happened? She waved through the crowd, and the crowd saw her, recognized her, and turned on her and stoned her because she's making all of them unclean because they took those laws pretty seriously. What happened? She waved through all of this, and Jesus won't heal her. These are all the doubts and the fears that's coming upon her. But... But she's at that moment of decision. She could either live in fear for the rest of her life or she can make her move. So she does it. She, she went for it. She pressed into the crowd. Every person she brushed against, she's flinching. And she pressed until she's close within reaching range of Jesus. And she makes her final move. She touched the edge of his cloak. Immediately power went out of Jesus 
and healed her. But look at what happened. Jesus noticed her. And the woman seen that she could not go unnoticed. Okay? She wants to be unnoticed right now, the Bible says. She wants to hide. She wants to run away. But Jesus called her out. The Bible says she was trembling. Even though she's been physically healed, her true fear was emotional, was spiritual, was her identity. <clears throat> the shame, the guilt, the isolation, the pain, she's not enough. She'll always be alone. She wants to run off at this point. She wants to hightail out of there. But she instead faced her fears. You know how she faced her fears? She spilled her guts to Jesus. She went to his feet and she told her story to the one who created her. See, it's, it's interesting because Jesus knew her story. He's the creator. He knew her story better than she does. But he wanted her to tell him her story because she needed to face her shame. She needed to face her fear, her doubts. She emptied herself, her story before Jesus, before the Prince of Peace. She looked up to Jesus for judgment, and Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus wasn't interested in just restoring her body. He wanted to restore her identity, her emotions, her longings, her peace. And most of all, he wants to dethrone the tyranny of fear on her life. This is the model we have to overcome our fears. Is we come before the feet of Jesus and we tell him our story. We confess, we spill our guts before the Prince of Peace, and we say, God, this is my deepest fear. What are you going to do? We open ourselves transparently before him and say, God, I am vulnerable before you. How will you judge me? When I came before the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm bringing my fears to you. My kids, I'm so afraid I can't protect them. With all the junk going on in our culture, how do I protect my kids? I'm overwhelmed. I'm scared. This is what the Lord said to me. I thought he's going to embrace me and say, God, I got your back. I'm going to love you. Protect your kids. Everything will be fine. That's not what he said. This is what he said to me. He said, quote, you are not their protector. I am. Stay in your lane. It hurt. It hurt me. It hurts so good. But my spirit resonated with the truth. That was the truth. When I tried to be their protector, when I walk out of my lane and out of obedience and submitting to my fears, all I'm doing is hurting them. But when I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then blessing will flow into my family. If your fear is that you are not enough, that you are a loser. When I dealt with that for years and years, I'm a loser. When I bring my fears to Jesus, when I come to Jesus, I said, Jesus, this is my story, this is my pain. The kids and the hurts and the pain from my past. God, I'm a loser. Tell me I'm not a loser. You know what Jesus said to me? You are a loser. You are not enough. And I'm devastated. God, really? I'm not enough? He said to me, why do you think I sent my son to die on the cross? You know, I've been a Christian for most of my life. You come on. And I heard the gospel over thousands of times. That was the first time in my life the gospel was true, was real to me. And that Jesus didn't die for our sins, he died for my sins. So whenever the devil comes now and says, You're a loser, you're not enough, you know what I say to him? You are right, devil. 
I am not enough. And he shuts up and leaves me. That fear, that plaguing of fear that you're, not, that you're not enough no longer has any hold on me. And I can come up here and share my struggle and share my sins. I've overcame that fear. And if your fear is that you will be alone, I'll tell you what, you want the good news or the bad news, which is the same thing. You have to go into the wilderness. You have to face Jesus by yourself. Be alone. And the Lord will show you, you're never alone when you're with him. Over and over again, the people in the Bible have faced their fears, their deepest fear. Abraham, Abraham had to face giving up Isaac, killing Isaac. Moses faced his worst fear when he faced Pharaoh. Gideon faced his worst fear when he had to go against the armies with only 300 men. Paul I believe, faced his worst fear when the Jewish people rejected him because his heart and his longings for the Jewish people. And what do you think Jesus' worst fear is? I believe Jesus' worst fear is separation from his father. If Jesus was not spared from facing his worst fear when he was on the cross, we need to face our worst fear. The hardest part of being a pastor, being a father, a spiritual father is I can't do this for you. I can't do it for my kids. I can't do it for my spiritual sons. You can't use my revelation. You have to go. Get on your face and face your fear. Last Friday, I was sharing with this message with Chase, one of my spiritual sons. 11 o'clock at night at my house, dinner table, I was saying, hey, son, you got to go face your fears. You know what he did? He asked for my keys to the church. He walked his way. I live a couple blocks down. He came out here to the church, 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. Got his face on the carpet and cried out to God. We need to stop acting like cultural Christians and we need to act like the woman who's bleeding and desperate. Do we have men and women who will wrestle in prayer because you are so sick and tired of the tyranny of fear on your life. You say, I need to face it. I need to deal with it once and for all. This tyranny over my life is over. The king must come back and take reign on this throne. Matthew eleven twelve. 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It's going to take violence for the kingdom of God to be ushered in. Not violence against people. Violence against your worst fears. It's going to be rough. It's going to be scary. It's going to take passion. It's going to take sacrifice. You have to go there. Yes, you will have to go there. Do you want to make a difference for God? Do you want his kingdom to come? You know, after I was wrestling in prayer, I went to go take a shower. The Lord said, go take a shower because I was sweating. I was sweating. I was taking a shower in the middle of the day. And the Lord said this to me. Do you love my kingdom? Do you love my kingdom more than your own kingdom? Do you love my kingdom over your own little kingdom? And in tears, weeping out to God, I said, Lord, I'd rather spend one day in your courts, one day in the kingdom of God, than a thousand years being king of my own castle. If that is the cry of your heart, I want to ask you to stand up.
If that's the cry in your heart to say, God, I want to be a man or a woman with nothing to lose, nothing to lose, and in your heart you say, I need to go face this fear, face this tyrant, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. God, this is time for the church to rise up. But we can't rise up and walk in the supernatural when there is an enemy, a traitor in the camp. And Father, even right now, I commission our body, Living Stones Church, to go get on their face. Find a brother or sister. Find someone to help them and lead them and come and confront the fear within us. Confront this tyrant who's been ruling over us. And we need to get the right king back on the throne. And Lord, against fear, against all odds, Holy Spirit, will you convict our hearts and take us there in Jesus' name. May there no room for the enemy to speak. And we can clearly, once again, hear your voice and obey your strategy and bring your glory. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, in our weakness, meet us. In our brokenness, meet us. We are but jars of clay, that the treasures within us when we are broken, Lord. So we bring our brokenness to you like the woman struggling with blood, with bleeding. May that be our prayer and our cry today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, guys, be blessed. If you guys want to chat and pray, we're here with you. Go and face your fear today, amen.